Hello, everyone. My name is Doug Woodard, executive coach with Advisor Game Plan. Welcome to the Thriving Sports Podcast, our public podcast available to everyone. We do have two podcasts. Number one is a client-only private podcast called Thriving Coaches. And number two is this public podcast available to everyone. In this public podcast, in each episode, we'll be talking to a successful coach or leader about specific ways they enhanced their team's culture and player development, as well as many other valuable topics. And I'm Brian Willett, founder and CEO of Advisor Game Plan. I don't know about you, but I'm excited to sit back and learn from each of these episodes with these amazing coaches. Thank you for joining us as we dive deeper into these areas that can lift a team from average to good to great. Well, we're here with Bruce Rasmussen. I think, if I'm right, 41 years at Creighton University. I think 27 as uh, as the athletic director doesn't seem possible. We were talking about how time flies uh, a little a little bit off mic a while ago. Uh, shepherded the the entry of Creighton into the Big East in I believe 2013, and then just personally, I guess as a way of introduction, I, I'm fortunate enough to have had two daughters uh, go to Creighton and not play under Bruce, but be under his his leadership as an athletic director, a couple point guards from Bellevue West, uh, good good friends of mine now. And the one thing, all four of them uh, said what an impact Bruce was on their life. And, and that, that's kind of rare, I think, because I think a lot of times you might be able to find athletes that they didn't really even know who the athletic director was maybe at their university. And certainly wouldn't testify as, as to an impact. But Bruce, I really thank you for coming in, and, and uh, hopefully we can just have a great conversation today. Well, it's great to be here. I'm honored to be asked. Well, awesome. One of the one of the traits we talk about in our championship edge pyramid is alertness. Obviously, alertness on the court, in this case basketball, is, is critical. We're, we're defining alertness as being vigilant in observation, always ready to take advantage of our presented opportunity. You can see where that would be crucial than something like basketball. I thought we'd discuss how you navigated the whole Big East opportunity, despite no small amount of opposition <laughs> perception that maybe Creighton was not ready or able to take such a step. And, and then how how coaches can can cultivate that maybe in their yeah. Well, you have to have a lot of luck, first of all, but you talk about vigilance and observation and vision was a real important uh, factor for me. You look back on the mentors in your life and one of my most important mentors was my grandfather who went blind at age 20. And when I, he was United States wrestling champ and there was a medical procedure that went wrong. So you're going to compete for a national championship in wrestling one day and the next day you're blind and can't see. And when I got old enough, you know, I asked him, you know, how did that impact him? And isn't he bitter? And he said, you know, there's a difference between look and see. You know, he said, I, I don't have eyesight anymore, but there are a lot of things that I see better today than I did when I had vision. When you have eyesight, sometimes you get lazy. And one of the things I emphasized when I coached was there's a difference between look and see. And you're better athletes, you're more successful athletes. You all look at the same thing. 
but they see it different. They see people who are open before they're open. They see how to get them open. They see what to do and what not to do. There's a real difference in successful people between look and see. There's also a difference between hear and listen. And my grandpa said he listened a lot better because you had to, you couldn't rely on it. But you think about as a coach or as a leader, you say the same thing. People hear it differently. Do you hear it, but do you really listen? So in athletics, I always emphasize the difference between look and see and hear and listen. And one of the things that my grandpa, as a blind person, he, he would give us this poem that was called, titled, The Six Men, Six Blind Men, or Six Men of Indistan, to learning much inclined, went to see the elephant, though each of them were blind. These six blind men that went to see the elephant. And one of them grabbed the tail, thought it was like a rope. One of them grabbed the ear and thought it was like a fan. One of them grabbed the side, thought it was like a wall. But the poem ends, though each were partly in the right, all were in the wrong because they didn't see the entire elephant. And so vision is, and, and you talk about the vigilance and observation. It's trying to see the entire picture. And we all draw our conclusions based on our level of information. And what seems perfectly logical to us as an answer may not be right because we didn't see the entire elephant. So again, when the Big East opportunity, when I came to Creighton, First of all, Creighton basketball has historically been good. You can go back to Eddie Sutton, Red McManus, Tom Apke, Tony Baroni, Dana Altman, and now Coach McDermott. But uh, when I first came to Creighton in 1980, uh, Missouri Valley Conference was one of the best basketball conferences in the country. They had Louisville. They had Cincinnati. I mean, you looked at that conference. But basketball nationally has evolved. And when I came to Creighton, what I kept hearing was, boy, we wish we could be in a conference with Marquette and DePaul and other Catholic schools. But because conferences were aligned so much because of football, the opportunity for Creighton to move into a different conference was not very good. Uh, and it, it wasn't that the Missouri Valley wasn't a good basketball conference, but you could see as the evolution of college basketball went, and especially because of television, football became the elephant in the room. Okay, And football controls the money. Basketball became more secondary. But for us at Creighton, 90-some percent of our revenue in Creighton Athletics in one way or another came in in men's basketball. So for us, no matter what sport we had, for us to be successful, we needed that revenue. We needed men's basketball to be good because it would drive all of the other sports. So we were looking, in fact, when I became athletic director, we looked at the West Coast Conference with other like schools, but travel was an issue and finances were an issue. We were approached by the Atlantic 10 with St. Louis and with, uh, uh, at that time had Xavier, uh, but it had a lot of uh, uh, schools from the East. But when the opportunity, when the Big East, the old Big East blew up because they tried to be a football conference and it didn't work. And so the seven basketball schools. So there were like 60 schools that were looking at that one spot to be in the Big East. And why they took us is a long story, way, way too long. But the reality was we were very successful in the Missouri Valley and we're kind of the big fish in a smaller pond. And there was a real concern about in athletics 
us going to a bigger conference and not being able to compete. And you've seen it. We saw it in the Missouri Valley in Evansville, who was very successful in the Midwest Collegiate, came into the league, couldn't make the adjustment. You saw it in the old Big East with DePaul. DePaul went to the old Big East. They were traditionally at the bottom. So there was a real exposure for us in basketball. Could we go and make that adjustment? But before we even could do that, we had to convince the board uh, that it was a good move for us. And uh, I had to go back to the board twice. The first time I went to the board, I talked about the opportunities for athletics. And it was going to be more expensive. And people think about distances. Well, you're going to New York, you're going to DC, you're going to Boston. But you think about it in old terms, you know, in terms of distance instead of time. In the Valley, most of our teams bus to Evansville. They bus to Indiana State. They bus to Bradley. Those are eight or nine hour bus trips. You know, we could fly to New York in the time it took us to get to Des Moines, to Drake. So it was just more of an expense than a time. So you had to look at it differently. But there was a real concern about the additional expense. Could we make the adjustment? What does it mean for all of our sports? And really, the first time I approached the board, they they were reticent. They really were reluctant. And so I went back and I felt like I had to look at this, not from the perspective of athletics, but from the perspective of the university. And it was really less exposure for the university to move into the Big East than it was for the athletic department. Because for a university, you obviously have to attract students to be successful. And then you're rated based on the quality of students you attract, but also the jobs they get, your product. You're only as good as your product. So what kind of jobs are, is your product getting when they graduate? And so we looked at it and I went to the board from that perspective and said, first of all, you know, the East Coast is dominant, predominantly Catholic. And while Creighton is expensive, if you're from North Platte or Grand Island, to go to Creighton's a pretty expensive thing. But when you're from one of the cities on the East Coast, we're really we're less expensive, still Catholic and still away from the East Coast. So we had an opportunity to attract students from locations. But secondly, our graduates, a lot of times you get graduates not based on what you know, but who you know or who knows you. And when we first went to Big East, people are like, where's Creighton? And as we got into the Big East, they're going, okay, yeah, we know where Creighton is. And it helped a lot of our graduates get jobs. So after I approached the board from the university perspective, they saw that from their perspective, they really didn't have much exposure. The exposure was, could we generate a budget and be good enough to be successful athletically in the Big East? Basketball-wise, we were fortunate because I called Marquette, DePaul, and Notre Dame athletic directors when they made the move from their conference into the Big East and asked them what they did. And in essence, the Notre Dame AD Jack Swarbick, who wasn't when they, the AD when they went in, but he said it took them four years. The first three years, they were basically at the bottom of the, of the Big East. I said, no way, not Notre Dame. And why? He said, well, to recruit, you need to, you're recruiting now to a better conference. And what we found out in the recruiting process really was we could talk about the academics at Creighton, outstanding academics, personal nature, to the academic process. That's really valuable. We can talk about 
our facilities, which were very good. We could talk about our attendance, which was very good. But a lot of kids and their parents make decisions more based on the better athletes are, I want to play against better competition. So there were a lot of times the recruiting process, we had a lot of reasons for an athlete to choose Creighton and their parents to choose Creighton. But they went to a Big Ten or Big 12 school because of the better competition. And so they're wired that way. So the Big East would give us an opportunity to play against better competition. And secondly, you hope that when you go and travel, you're not just going from a basketball or volleyball or, or baseball perspective, but there's some education as part of it. So to go to New York City, to go to D.C., to go to Boston, to go to Chicago and so forth was maybe more attractive than going to Terre Haute and Carbondale and Cedar Falls. So we felt that we could recruit the same caliber of person character, passion, intelligence, willing to develop, and yet get a higher caliber of athlete by being in the Big East. And Jack Swarbick said, yes, that's what they found at Notre Dame. However, it's going to take you three or four years because you can't just start by recruiting seniors. They've been recruited for three or four years, and you can't win in the Big East with freshmen. So it took Notre Dame three or four years. Talk to DePaul, say athletic director, had been there a long time. They never made that adjustment. And because they didn't, they were towards the bottom of the Big East and have historically in basketball been there. Talk to Marquette and they said, we were successful for one reason, Dwayne Wade. <laughs> Dwayne Wade went there their first year in the Big East. Well, the reality is we were successful in our first couple of years in the Big East, Doug McDermott. You know, and it allowed us to get going. So the amazing story for us in basketball really is that in the 10 years we've been in the Big East, in spite of the transition period, we have won the second most games in basketball in conference play and in total second to only Villanova. Now, obviously, you had a long coaching career um, as well as, as your athletic uh, directing career. If we can get our players to have that level of alertness and to be vigilant in observing as competition is occurring. Yes. That's that's one of the separators is can you do this in the heat of the moment in competition? Yeah. And understanding that situations change, you know, what's a good shot in basketball in the first 10 minutes of the game may not be in the last five minutes of the game. You know, so and it is an observation. It's being vigilant and knowing that situations change and not just knowing what I need to do, not just knowing what my teammates need to do in addition to me, but knowing not only what the person I'm guarding is Need, is trying to do or the team is trying to do, but see that as matchups change and as you have matchups, that it changes game to game and it changes almost possession to possession. So that observation, that vigilance and in, in seeing, not just looking, is critical to being successful. The second area, Bruce, I want to talk about is, is, is a whole area of work ethic. I actually have a couple quotes here. <laughs> some longtime Creighton coaches talking about about Bruce. He says some of the risks he had to take were rewarded, and this is specifically talking, I think, about going into the Big East. But they were rewarded because of the work Bruce put in in the lead up and in building our department to where we could have success once we got invited into the Big East. And then a second quote here is is uh, 
the work ethic is huge for Raz. First one in, last one to leave. Yes, he worked incredibly hard, but he also connected with people. And, and so then I'd like to, for you to just talk about the importance of work ethic, which our definition here, our working definition is a willingness to both prepare for and invest great effort in bettering one's skill or position, but also in the context of not forgetting to value people along the way. Well, and again, I, I had great mentors. I mean, my dad had great work ethic. My grandpa was uh, had a lot of sayings that uh, stuck with me. But uh, I, w I played basketball. I ran track. I was a distance runner in track. And one of the sayings in track was, when the going gets tough, the sprinters get out. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the distance runners are tougher. I wasn't I wasn't fast. Uh, I wasn't a thoroughbred. I was more of a donkey. And you plod. Uh, you work. Uh, but, uh, you know, when I started coaching, one of the first things that I asked every one of my players, and I, I've used that same model in and adjusted to people that I, I hired, but you ask, okay, what are your goals individually? What are your goals as a team? Well, you know, what do you want to accomplish? Why are you out? You know, why are you out for basketball? And what are your goals individually? And what are your goals as a team? And I never found, I never had an athlete say, oh, I just want to be average. I just want to be like everybody else. They want to be set apart. They want to be different. And part of my job as a coach is to be honest in terms of what their values are and what they need to do to get where from where they are to where they want to be. And interestingly, you find out, you say, well, you're going to have to put in some extra time here. You're going to have to do this. And well, I don't want to do what any what others don't have to do. Well, you want to be different, but you don't want to work differently. And so work ethic is a big part of it. You have to be willing to put in the work. And I always felt that practice was a minimum job description. You went to practice to find out what you needed to work on, where you were weak, and then you went outside of practice to to work on that. But I'm a picture guy. I have to see things. It's easier to see for me to remember. So on my desk, I had pictures of four animals, and people would wonder. They're not big picture, but one was a lion, one was a gazelle, one was a rabbit, and one was an elephant. And the lion and the gazelle, you've heard that, uh, maybe heard that saying, African saying about the lion gets up every morning and he knows that to be successful, he has to be faster than the fastest gazelle. And the gazelle gets up every morning knowing that for him to be successful, he has to be faster than the fastest lion. So whether you're the lion or the gazelle, whether you're the hunter or the hunted, you better be running. <laughs> you better be working. Uh, and the rabbit and the elephant was my grandpa had a way of being blunt. But he would tell me occasionally because like I'd work on basketball and he wasn't seeing, but he could hear. But he'd say, you're you're fighting the rabbits when the elephants are pounding the crap out of your garden. You know, you need to fight the elephants. And there are people that work and put in a lot of time, but it's on the minutia. It's on the little things. You need to identify the biggest issues and then you have to spend your time there. But I just felt that for me to be successful, I had to work outwork people. But you also, as a leader, you are also lead by example. And as a leader, you the, the best trait of a leader is to serve. But by leading by example, every day you go to practice. And as a coach, in one way or another, you are saying, why are we practicing today? 
We are practicing today because individually and as a part of a team, we're trying to be better than we were yesterday. And if you ask that of your players and your players don't see that of the coach, you have a dysfunction. You have a disconnection. What you ask of the players, they've got to see out of you. And as a leader, what you ask of the people working with you, they have to see out of you. And to me, the best trait of a leader is to serve those people. You're saying, how can I, what my job is to, how can I make you better individually? How can I make your program better? How can I make your team better? You're there to serve them. And so there's a commitment that you have to make. And, um, you know, I've had people tell me, well, we're behind you. We support you. We're behind you. They're so far behind you, you never see them. You know, there's that old, again, visual of a ham and egg breakfast, and you've heard this, the difference between support and commitment. A hen supports the ham and egg breakfast. The pig is committed. You know, there is a difference between being for something and with something. And as a matter of fact, with Creighton, when I first came to Creighton, the statement of Creighton was men and women for others. That's great, right? But it's easy to be for something. It's a lot harder to be with them. So since then, Creighton has changed their their basically vision to say men and women for and with others. And so as an administrator, and it was that way as a coach, you're saying, I'm you're not working for me. We're working. I'm working with you. We're working together. Well, how do you do that? You know, leaders are committed. They are consistent. They identify and confront problems. They set priorities. And so I always felt that those were things that I needed to do when I was coaching. And they were things that I needed to do uh, when I was an administrator. Well, so just some great wisdom. And obviously, the, I guess the, one of the things, and talk about legacy, and I know you don't like to, to, to hear about this stuff a lot about yourself, Bruce, but uh, the legacy you've left and the, those that you've impacted from the, the student athletes that have come through Creighton University to the coaches, when you talk to, when you talk to those people, they can just ramble on and on about it. I think that's a tremendous testament to the fact that you didn't just verbalize these things, but you walked them out day to day um, in front of those people and those coaches and those student athletes. And, and Creighton is a much better place for it. Well, I don't know of a position more dependent on others than athletic director. You know, we get too much credit when things go well and too much blame when they don't. But if to be successful as an athletic director, you'd better hire, you better have good coaches. They better recruit good people. But you also better have a university that that is committed to athletics. You better have faculty and staff that are. But even with all of that, if you don't have donors that are that are willing to go above and beyond their families and make a commitment to you, you can't get it done. So you're so dependent on so many people. And one of the reasons I've stayed in Omaha for as long as I have is because Omaha is a, a, a community that is that way. You know, you have a number of people that are willing to go above and beyond their families and their jobs to make a commitment to our athletic department. And it's allowed us to be successful. In closing, Bruce, and I know this is a, a topic du jour of the moment here, <laughs> um, the NIL, the whole NIL question. And 
and the impact that uh, that might have. Um, and, and I know it's, it's kind of a loaded thing, and it's, it's something I think a lot of us have seen coming for, for some time, but what impact do you see specifically in the danger it might propose or pose for the uh, construct of a team in creating that team identity? So just maybe opine on that for a minute. Okay. Well, I could talk for a long time on the pluses and minuses of NIL, but I don't think there's anything that's all positive or all negative, and NIL is one of those issues. But, you know, when I was on the men's basketball committee, Condoleezza Rice was in charge of a committee. Uh, she had a, a committee that really tried to clean up college basketball. And I had an opportunity to meet with her, and she's a very intelligent lady. But I told her that, you know, no matter how there's a Chinese proverb that says, no matter how pure the lake is, if the stream flowing into the lake is polluted, the lake will eventually become polluted. And what we're seeing in sport today is even at the 10 and 12 year old level, the youth level, the positive is we didn't have that kind of thing when I was in when I was 10 or 12 or in high school, we didn't have select sports and there's so many opportunities, but the negative is that that has the NIL, the M&M mentality of parents and kids have, we used to talk to, in the recruiting process, we used to talk to parents and kids about development, about our facilities, about the ability to take you from where you are to where you want to be. And those were the most important factors. And now we talk about M&Ms, money and minutes. And it's not just at the college level. It's not just at the high school level. It's permeated youth sports. And so NIL, there is a positive to it. And I've always told our coaches, one of the values one of the things that our coaches need to do is obviously they need to be able to take individuals and teams and develop them to the best of their abilities and desires individually as part of a team. But if that's all they're doing, then they shouldn't be coaching at the college level and we shouldn't have college athletics. We should use athletics to help better educate them to be better leaders in their families and their businesses and their communities. And NIL has done that to a certain extent. We've talked, a lot of our athletes have no idea about taxation, about building their brand, about buying as opposed to leasing, about managing money. And so at Creighton, all of our athletes have to take a course. They, they take workshops and we better educate them on taxation and budgeting and, and money making and building your brand, and which makes them better prepared to be a leader in their family, business, and community. In this country, we have such an emphasis on monetization. The money becomes the dominating factor, and it is a, now coaches have to work not only on all these other issues, but they have uh, to work on why is this athlete getting more than I'm getting? And we're all valuable. We're all important. We're all necessary, but we have a difference in structure. So it's created another dynamic to coaching that to a certain extent we didn't have to deal with for years. Appreciate it. Great, great to see you. Yeah, it's great to see you. Thank you. We have free resources available on advisorgameplan.com. If you would like to gain access to our full version of client resources, please contact us today on advisorgameplan.com to explore becoming a client. Also, subscribe today to Thriving Sports. 
and stay up to date with future episodes and more interviews with more coaches. Together, let's be thriving coaches that put the player first in all situations. See ya.